So we've completed preaching through the church covenant. Um, we want to take a continue you know, to take a moment before uh, each message just to draw special attention to one part of our covenant. So if you're part of the Fulmont Baptist, specifically if you're a member, you've uh, agreed to covenant with other brothers and sisters and agreed to do certain things. One of them is that you will proactively cultivate fellowship with others. And uh, I, I think it's an area that we've definitely grown leaps and bounds in, and I've been very encouraged, uh, even in, in different tough seasons, our own family's going through some, some struggles right now, and to see the church reach out has been very much uh, an encouragement and a blessing to us, and I know that happens behind the scenes in so many ways. And we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So I think we could take that to heart as well, and we know we are doing that. I pray that we would encourage one another and continue to do that. Um, sometimes that's through, uh, you know, just a, a, an email, a text, a word of encouragement, all kinds of things. Um, but it can also... Um, Sorry. Anyhow, uh, I <laughs> losing my train of thought here. Just the thinking of how people have ministered to us again. I'm I'm grateful that this happens not just on a Sunday morning. That throughout the week, brothers and sisters are doing that. So I would encourage you to continue to do that, not just today, and also to grow, maybe outside of your comfort zone. That you would reach out to people that maybe you haven't met before. Uh, We've been here a long time, my family, but I know there's people that haven't been here and aren't as well as connected, so let's make sure that those people aren't missed when we do that. And maybe even just the fact that it's New Year's, that you would maybe uh, make that part of your New Year's resolution, that you would, would reach out to somebody specifically, that maybe you would be more vulnerable, maybe you're a quiet person yourself and keep others at a distance, that you would maybe put yourself out there in a way that you haven't done so Let's just pray one more time before the message, just for God's grace to do this. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for my church family. I thank you for the ministry of, of the brothers and sisters and, and how we do lift one another up in, in prayer, in tangible ways um, that we can go through life together, Lord. I think of, of your picture in the book of Acts as the church just started and how People knew what one another needed, and they met those needs. And I thank you that, that we're doing that in so many ways. I know we can grow in this. I pray that we would grow in Beaumont in this direction, Lord. I pray you'd give us the grace to do this. It can be, it can be difficult, Lord, as we're carrying many burdens ourselves to, to look to the needs of others when we feel like we're maybe drowning ourselves. But I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the strength to do this and that there would be nobody here today that would feel like they're on an island, that nobody, nobody knows, that nobody cares, Lord, that we would, we would not allow that to happen here, Lord, that we would grow as a family, and Lord, that this would be done to make your name great, Lord, that the outside world would, would look in, as I'm sure they did in the book of Acts, Lord, just that time period, and looked in in awe and wonder of, of what is different with this group, Lord, and the difference is Christ. So I pray, Lord, that we would reflect you in our actions. Lord, give us the grace to do this in the year to come, we pray. Amen. Good morning. We, uh, we okay with the, with the feedback, maybe? We're all good. Appreciate your hard work, guys. Tricky stuff. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's in Christ you called us together today to worship you. And thank you that in him our prayers are heard and accepted by you. That in him our praise uh, from our own hearts or in our singing together uh, is received by you and accepted, that in him all of the promises of your word are yes to us, uh, regardless of where we come from or who we are, and that in him 
uh, you will communicate your word to us, living and powerful, and make us into the people that you want us to be, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Give us grace for this today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as, uh, oh, oh yes, thank you so much. Uh, as we start, uh, it's a great time to remind you that we have a lovely children's ministry uh, in the back there, and uh, young kids can go there. We also have a fully staffed nursery uh, over there in the kitchen, uh, and uh, you can uh, bring your little ones there, or of course they're welcome to stay with you here in the service. Uh, one of the advantages of having young children yourself is that they wave frantically at you if you have not sent them to children's church. So, uh, I think that's it. <laughs> so we're a little discombobulated this morning. Um, as uh, Greg prayed in his opening prayer, we are in the closing hours of 2023, and it is uh, just the Lord's graciousness to us uh, I don't know if you have reflected on the verse in Scripture that talks about how God's mercies are new every morning, and it is a great grace to us from God that we as human beings live in cycles, um, that, that every day we have to go to sleep and wake up again, and that uh, every year we look back and say, well, that was another year. Uh, and people now and in ancient times have had different ways of marking that, but we've all lived through and must live through these cycles of seasons and years and days and weeks. And what a grace from God that that is, because it is so easy for us to get uh, really in dark and difficult places. And the beginning of each new cycle is an opportunity to reflect, to call on God again, and to look ahead to what he's doing. And uh, it was uh, originally my intention to speak this morning on Bible reading in the new year. This is something that uh, happened in a church that I was a member of years ago. Every new year, the very first sermon of the year, or the last sermon of the, of the year, if it was like this, right close together, was always on Bible reading. It was a great practice. But uh, Pastor Nate uh, has asked us to, to push that back to the Conference on Spiritual dif Disciplines that we have coming up in a couple weeks where it'll fit really well. And that includes a lot of themes. But this is a natural and appropriate time for us to think about how it is that we follow God in our own personal lives and with our family together, if uh, it's your privilege to be able to do that. And uh, so this is a time when people think about maybe you're going to uh, do something different in your own personal devotional life. Maybe you're going to uh, read a different translation of the Bible. Maybe you're going to memorize a certain set of verses, or maybe you're going to sing hymns in your devotions and you haven't done that before, or you're going to read this or that type of a book. And those are all great things. Um, what I want to do today is spend some time uh, looking at some passages in the scripture and talking about uh, some things from church history, a little bit, uh, to encourage you to consider uh, a practice that you may be familiar with. You may have done this before, but you may not have and that is the use of a creed. Uh, on the uh, red um, counter in the back are copies of this. This is the Nicene Creed. And uh, when we lived in Shanghai and ministered there, it was our church's practice from the time that we kind of revised our practice in the church. From that time forward, for years, it was our practice to uh, affirm the creed together every Sunday when we were together. This is the this is the version that we use. So if you wonder why it looks uh, maybe one or two words are different from the one that you may have used in another church, this is our version. And that's why it has these uh, letters marking it off. That was one of the first things we did to make it easy uh, to memorize. And it's our practice, been our practice for many years to do the same thing in our family devotions every morning. So we meet together, we read the scriptures, we talk, we pray, and then uh, we all affirm the creed together. Why would you do something like that? And what is the value of it? And so today I want to uh, just kind of lay out uh, a case for maybe you should think about uh, using uh, the cre a, a creed. I like this one. 
uh, in your worship personally or with your family uh, in, in, you know, large or small ways throughout the new year. And uh, so in order to do that, I first have to be able for everyone to know, because some of you are not familiar with this practice, I'm sure. So first question is, what is a creed? And this, the importance of this, I'm glad I had this point in here because very helpfully, as I was standing in the back chatting with uh, one of the, the folks this morning, somebody else came up, picked up the creed that was on the counter next to me and said, what is a creed? And I said, yeah, good, all right, we're on the right track. Uh, and so we're gonna, I'm going to explain what a creed is, and then I'm going to explain what it's good for, uh, because uh, as we sang in our hymn earlier today, I did not know we were going to sing, my faith has found a resting place, but there's a line right in the first verse that says, uh, it's not in device or creed. And so you might be predisposed to think, well, chuck this thing out, uh, which, you know, I'm going to say is not necessary. There's a lot of value that we can get from something that isn't Jesus, uh, because it's about Jesus. And... Uh, and then uh, just talk a little bit about how specifically you might consider using the creed. So those three things. What is a creed? What's it good for? And then how would we use it in our, in our own personal lives? First of all, a creed is a statement of belief. Okay, that's what a creed is. Somebody says, what is a creed? What's it, you know, what are we talking about? We use this word creed. It's a statement of belief. And uh, like many... Um, Many words that you encounter in church, many sort of church words, it's a very old word, and it comes from uh, the Latin credo, which just means I believe. Credo just means I believe. And so a creed is a little statement of belief. Um, it's uh, the reason that when we use the creed in our church in Shanghai, we did not say, now we will all say the creed together. We would say, now we will all affirm or now we will all confess the creed together because we're saying what we believe this is not just words that we're saying we're saying yes this is actually what we believe this is very similar to what we do just now our brother greg was praying for us and at the end of his prayer he said amen and many of you also said amen what we're saying is see that truth over there i think that's right that's what the creed is for so a creed is a statement of belief, and it is a summary of what you believe, okay? That's the next thing that makes a creed a creed, is that it's a summary. If you, uh, if you look at this, these, this is not a lot of words. This is a lot of words, okay? That's kind of the contrast. So a creed is always a summary. Some creeds are focused on a very, very specific issue, something very narrow. There are creeds like that, but most of them uh, are covering the entirety of Christian faith in a couple of sentences. That's the goal. That's what this is for. It's to include all of Christian faith in a few sentences. And there are some that are really long. Usually those are called confessions rather than creeds. But most of them are short enough to be memorized pretty easily in a couple of weeks. You could do that with this. If you took this paper that was in the back, you could take it very, very easy and very, very slow and memorize one of the phrases every week, and it would take you 12 weeks because there are 12 little phrases set off there. Or if you wanted to be more ambitious, you could easily get the whole thing down in just a few days. It's not long. And that's the goal of it. It's a summary. It's a statement of our beliefs. And then critically, creeds are written by people. Okay, the creed does not come from the Bible. It's not verses of the Bible that have been grouped together. This is something that's written by human authors, uh, but we're following the example of sections of Scripture where key truths are summarized for God's people. I want us to just look at a couple of these together. Um, the first one, maybe the most well-known one that you might be aware of, is in Deuteronomy 6. Right, Deuteronomy 6, very, very well-known uh, summary of beliefs. And this is given at the beginning, uh, Deuteronomy 6 is 
kind of a refresher on the law. People have gone through all this difficulty and they've come to uh, kind of a threshold in their experience and Moses is going to go over the law again and he starts with the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 and then in Deuteronomy 6 it's like all right now here it is I'm going to put it all together it's very important for you to understand this and when he does that his first words are here in verse 4 he says this hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's happening in this passage is that the prophet Moses, speaking through the Holy Spirit, is giving these people two extremely central truths. First of all, that there is one God. And secondly, that the people's duty toward him is to love him completely. Right? You see that right there in the text. The Lord our God, he says in verse 4, is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Right? (coughs) And then everything that comes after that is his emphasizing how super important it is that everyone gets those two truths preeminently down. Now, here he's talking about the whole law. But he's emphasizing those two central truths. And when he talks about how you should have it on your hand and between your eyes and on your house and all that kind of stuff, um, there was a a school of taking that very, very literally and actually doing those things. But the, the essence of the command that's coming from God is get this into your head. Don't be in a situation where you're like, yeah, we... Sure, we believe in Yahweh. He's our God. And um, there's some... uh, Give me a second. Let me just think about what that's all about. Right? What he's saying is these are central truths and they should be literally right under the surface of your life. My old pastor in the United States used to say that if you are cut, you should bleed Bible. That's the concept. So a little summary that is put together for the use of the people because that is the core of their belief. We have these in the New Testament as well. Uh, In the New Testament, the most well-known one probably is in 1 Timothy. So just flip over there, 1 Timothy chapter 3, or listen to me as I read it. Once again, Paul is talking about a big picture of the Christian life. He's talking about the church, how the church should be conducted, how people should act in the church, and and what we should believe. (coughs) And he says here, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, or verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and a buttress or a support of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then perhaps in your Bible as in mine, this is set out as a little poem. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is that? That's the Apostle Paul saying, all right, now we got to talk about some super important stuff about the church, and here's what I want you to start with. Here is the essence of our faith, these things about Jesus. Bang, 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 bang. In this little kind of a pithy, kind of a poet, it doesn't sound super poetic to us, maybe in English, but in Greek it's really good. Right? The idea is, this is a little summary that people can carry around in their minds of what's 
What's of most importance? Now, let's go back to creeds. These things that we call creeds are the same thing. They've been composed in the same vein by church leaders throughout the history of the church in the same way that a lot of people, many, many people, have read the Psalms <coughs> and they've said, wow, that's super great. I want to do one too. And they write hymns and we got hymn, book, hymn, book, blah, hymn books full of hymns and we come here and sing hymns and it's not like this is very weird. Why would someone write their own hymn when we have the Psalms? Okay, because we're responding to what we see there in the scriptures. That's exactly what a creed is. A creed is the same kind of response. It's like, well, hey, let's put together some of these key thoughts from the scripture in a very uh, portable form, mentally. And like all other theological writings, any books that you've read, any sermons that you've heard, they're not infallible, they're not perfect, but they are part of our inheritance of grace in the church. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate that. Keith Matheson writes this. He says, in the scriptures, I think this is a great summary. In the scriptures, we hear God saying, thus saith the Lord. And in the creeds, we respond, we believe you. Like That's a great way of thinking about the relationship between the scriptures and a creed. The special value in creeds is often in the fact that you can take in a creed different ideas from around the scriptures and bring them together in a very, very concise formula, just a, a paragraph or two. So what is a creed? Well, a creed is the statement of beliefs. It's just a little summary. It's not the Bible. It's not inspired, but it's written by people to capture the truths of scripture. And finally, and this is important for you to know, there are a lot of different creeds, tons and tons. And tragically, we don't have time this morning for a long lecture on church history, which I know would be of great interest to me and perhaps a few of you. Uh, but uh, I will just mention this again, because especially for those of you who may have used creeds before, just to clarify this point, there are tons of different creeds. Probably the two most well-known and widely used in the history of God's people are the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed uh, was not written by the apostles, despite the name, despite what it says on the tin, not written by the apostles. It was instead a very, very early, very ancient attempt to summarize the teaching of the apostles, which is why it's called the Apostles' Creed. And then the, the next most well-known is the Nicene Creed, which is written there in the back. The Nicene Creed is very ancient. It is nearly 1,700 years old. And although we don't have time to really reflect on its specific nature, it was written, like almost every other creed, as a response to problems in the church. And there were false teachers, and they were saying things that were troubling the people, and church leaders got together, and they're trying to struggle through these issues, and at the end they said, we should put something down that will help people think clearly about this. That's what the Nicene Creed is. Obviously, this is an English translation of it, but... Otherwise, this is basically the same thing that was created centuries and centuries and centuries ago. And that leads us to our second question, which is, what are creeds good for? What, why would we use a creed if we have the Bible? Why not just use the Bible? And I think you kind of know where I'm going to go in broad strokes with this already. What good is a sermon? What good is a hymn? What good is a book about God? Chuck all that stuff out because you got the Bible. Uh, I think that's exactly the wrong way to approach it. And the reason that I think that that's the wrong way to approach it is because of what the scripture says, what God says to us. Turn to Ephesians 4. Because in Ephesians 4, we have this extremely helpful statement that comes to us through the Apostle Paul from the Holy Spirit that tells us how we should think 
about the role of the church, because that's really what the creed is about. The creed is about people in the church, people that we don't know because they died a long time ago, but they belong to the same church of Christ throughout all times and places. It's people in the church trying to minister to us. How should we think about that? Let's look here in uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, he, and that is Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Stop there. I want to make sure you're totally understanding because this is so key. When we read that, he gave apostles, prophets, he gave these, these guys what we expect to see is he gave them something. He gave them wisdom. He gave them insight. That is not what this is. What he's saying is he gave all these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to someone else. In other words, these people are not receiving a gift. They're the gift. Okay? He gave Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. What are the apostles? What were the prophets? What are shepherds? That word shepherds is just our same word for pastor that we use. Okay, what are pastors? What are teachers? What are evangelists? Those people are gifts from God to us, to us as the church. God looks at us as his people and he says, hey, these people have some needs and so I'm going to give them all of these brothers who are going to equip them for their ministry and build up the body of Christ. That's what the church is. If, if someone ever says to you, oh, I don't need to go listen to a sermon. I don't need to read any books because I just have the Bible. Jesus in the Bible <laughs> says to you, you have really got it backwards, friend. Because all those things are gifts from God to us. And look at how this works. Look who's included in this. They're here all these people are here to equip us for ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And then look what he says, verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about being spiritually mature. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's problems out there. And those problems, what he's saying is, those things will get you. Those things will trip you up. If you are not being built up by the ministry of all these guys over here that I'm giving to you to defend you, to mature you. He says, the goal is maturity. We don't want to be carried all over the place. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, here's what I think is so amazing. What parts of the body, and here's the apostle using this picture of a human body to represent the church. He says, what parts of the body make the body grow? Which parts? Each part. Which parts? Every joint with which it is equipped. Every person who's in the church 
is called on by God to minister and build up to every other person in the church. That is massive. That has huge implications. Once again, we are tragically not able to explore all of them. But I want to point out just two. One is, that means you, brother, you, sister, you have a role in building everybody else up. You know, one part of this was what our brother Greg was talking about earlier when he was talking about care for others and how people have been caring for them in the tough time that their family is going through right now. But there's other ways that that happens, right? God has you in his church to do something. Part of the reason that you're here is to do something for the brothers and sisters around you, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through conversation, whether it's through actions that you do, whether it's through your example, most likely it's through all those things all the time. You have a part to play in building up the church and protecting it. But it also means part two, that every other brother or sister can minister to us, even if they died 1,700 years ago. When we open up a book of theology, when we listen to a sermon, when we read a prayer, when we sing a hymn, Christmas is a great time to think about this because when we're singing Christmas hymns, we're singing typically the oldest hymns in our hymnal. Some of those Christmas hymns that we sing are more than a thousand years old. There were believing people who put their hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, who sang those words centuries ago and wrote them down and now they are ministering to us and strengthening us. That's amazing. And this is the design of God for the church. Why would we want a creed when we have the Bible? Because this is what God intends for us. God intends for us to grow through the ministry of the church in all times and in all places. So let's be a little bit more specific. That's very general, right? Like why, why do we care about anything other than the Bible? Specifically, creeds help us to defend the core of the teaching of Scripture. <clears throat> turn over, if you're in Ephesians here, turn over just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Paul's going to once again talk about one of those very central truths that we need to believe in. He says here, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Okay? Paul says this, this uh, substitutionary death of Christ, dying for our sins, this real rising from the dead, this is of first importance. And now, critically, look at verse 12. He says, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? What Paul is writing and saying is, hey, this is a super important truth, but this truth is in danger. This is, a super, this is of first importance, Paul says, and yet there are people in your church who are teaching the opposite of that. We have got, Paul is saying, we have got to get straight on this. We have got to get clear on this. Look over at uh, the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, verse 21, 
He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let it stay in you. Keep believing that. If what you heard from the beginning stays in you, if it abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Super important, says John. But there are people out there who are denying this. And if you look just over a couple pages in 2 John chapter, or, or there's only one chapter, 2 John verse 7, he says, there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist Watch yourselves, John says. The New Testament presents this pattern of really critical truths. We must believe certain words that come to us from God. We must believe them. And yet those truths are in danger. Well, here is where creeds come in. Because throughout history, those dangers, as the New Testament so plainly says, those dangers didn't end when Christ returned to heaven. It wasn't like Satan is struggling against Jesus, and then when Jesus rises victorious, Satan says, oh, well, we'll pack it in, we're going home. God's enemy is continuing to attempt, and will continue to attempt to subvert his church until his final destruction. And so the, the, the creeds are moments in history where God's people are being presented with really problematic, bad stuff. And they're believing it. And it's being taught in some of their churches. And it's really gaining traction and people aren't sure what to think. And so God's people are coming together and they're saying, let's, let's get something really clear. Let's get something simple down. I, I used to work... Uh, my wife and I used to work at a medical university. And we worked with nurses. And I don't know if any of you are nurses here, but in nursing, there is uh, something that they call the ABCs of nursing. The ABCs of nursing refer to the number one top priorities you always have to have when you're looking at someone that's hurt. A stands for airway, B stands for breathing, and C stands for circulation. If that person doesn't have an open airway, air coming in and out, blood staying in the body and going around in a circle, they have just minutes to live. You have to look at that first. And that was drilled into the students. ABCs, what's the ABCs? Get them down, write them down. What are they? Do you know them? What does that mean? Explain that B. How are you going to look for that? All this other stuff is very important. Drug classes, different, how do you run this kind of machine, blah 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 Yes, that's all very important, but it's not at the center. Creeds do something similar for us. You can think about creeds as the ABCs of the Christian faith. All this other stuff is important, but this, this thing here is right at the middle. And you better be able to just Call it up in your mind just with the snap of your fingers. It needs to be very familiar to you. Because you're going to meet injured people all over the place. I have a family member, and some of you also have family members, who have been taken in by serious false teaching. False teaching that the Nicene Creed specifically counters. We've lived here in Beaumont now for a year and a half. And in that time, Jehovah's Witnesses have come to our door three or four times. Jehovah's Witnesses embrace false teaching that other parts of this Nicene Creed specifically counter. There's injured people all over the place. And one of the best ways for us to be clear on how to help them 
is to reach into the rich inheritance that God has entrusted to us in the church. These are not old history book kind of things. These are fresh living problems. And creeds can be a great resource for dealing that with that. And the second reason I think we should care about creeds, the first one is that they help us to defend the core. But the second one, I think, is that creeds connect us to other times and places, to the, the, the church of God throughout history. <clears throat> uh, I, uh, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is uh, here in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. Paul, uh, <laughs> Paul, I'm not sure if Paul wrote this or not. The author of Hebrews is referring to that great cloud of witnesses that he mentions in Hebrews 12.1. All of God's people throughout all time and place have struggled and overcome through faith. And he describes these people here. Let's not start in verse 18 because we're already short of time. But let's start in verse 22. He says, You, brother, you, sister, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author of Hebrews is pointing way up to the horizon, and he's saying, you see up there, we're all in difficulty down here. We're struggling against sin, and it is tough going. And we don't see what we've received yet. But you see up there, way far away, those are the ones who have received it. There is a city up there full of angels with the presence of God and Christ our brother and all these people made complete and they're right over the hill. That's what this passage is saying to us. That community is not just a picture of future celebrations. That is a living and an ongoing reality. You and I, brother and sister, we are not alone. We are not alone as God's people. We are surrounded by a huge company of witnesses. People who endured terrible things. People who experienced great joys. People who dealt with lost family members. People who struggled with hard circumstances. People who put their faith in Jesus Christ and are now made perfect. It is a great thing to remember that. It's true that God calls each one of us as an individual. But God also puts us into a great kingdom throughout all time and all places. And when we say these words, when we affirm these words together, as we used to do every Sunday morning, as we do in our family, and when you do them, you are saying together these words with untold numbers of brothers and sisters who were strengthened by these truths, who in their own times, in their own places, in their own languages, also called on God in these words. That's a great thing. It's a great thing to remember and to be humble and to be grateful and to be determined to play the part that God has for us. So, our last question. How do we use the creed? I want to suggest six very simple ways that you could use it. The first one is that you could memorize it. And it will be of most benefit to you if you memorize it. You memorize the creed. It's not long. Like I said, there are 12 little sections in the setting that we have here. It sets them off one by one. Having it memorized will have it always within mental reach, and that will be of most benefit to you because that is what it's for. Secondly, say it. 
Affirm it, confess it during your family devotions or in your personal devotions or at certain times of day. Saying the creed, confessing these things, putting them out loud, I have found it to be helpful in many, many circumstances. Say it and make it a part of your life. Number three, reflect on it phrase by phrase in your prayers. Praying through the creed is a great way. It's such a good way to draw spiritual benefit, especially from elements of the creed that you might not be so familiar with. You're going to read, if you've never used a creed before, you're going to read some of this, and there are parts of this, like part three, which talks about the nature of the Lord Jesus. You may not have ever considered too much about the nature of the Lord Jesus. And so praying over these things can help to draw out the spiritual benefit that's there. Number four, study each of the phrases as part of a personal Bible study project. And again, this is an especially good way to think through phrases in the creed that you don't understand or that maybe you're not sure about. At the end, the creed says, I believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And if you're reading this for the first time, you might look at that. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. What? That sounds very sketchy. Right? Because we believe in salvation by grace through faith. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. And making this into a personal Bible project, Bible study project, and thinking about exactly what should we think about verses like 1 Peter 3.21 or Acts 22.15 which you might have been always inclined to just sort of skate over and not think too much about baptism. That might be really helpful. It's really helpful to me. Number five, use the creed as you talk with friends, family, and neighbors who are not Christians or whose beliefs you're not sure about. Use it as a mental kind of a guide or a backstop As you're talking with them about their beliefs, it can help you keep in mind what needs defending. When people say something like, well, I think this, and uh, I know you think that, and it's not that important. Well, some of those things are not that important, frankly. And some of them are extremely important. And the creed can help you just keep a little ruler in your mind, (coughs) a little plumb line, to know like, hey, actually this is important. What, What needs defending? And... It can alert you to areas where God is calling you to speak truth to someone that you might not otherwise be aware of. Finally, sixth, uh, one of the best uses of the creed is to use it to worship God for each element of the truth that is included here. And as, as I'm, I know that this has been your experience with one thing or another, we all know what it is to have a favorite hymn and to sing through it in church and to just come to a phrase or a verse that has meant so much to you and is so rich and you're just holding on to that and you're thanking God and you're worshiping God for that truth. The creed can function in exactly the same way and should. When, When we confess through the words of the Nicene Creed that Jesus Christ, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That is a great thing. That is a great thing to thank God for. And the creed is a wonderful way, a wonderful framing, just like a hymn is, of these truths. There are copies of it there in the back. And uh, I want to just conclude with this encouragement. Obviously, I think the creed is very valuable and useful. It was why we used it all those years in the church, why we continue to use it, why I made copies of it for you to take. Um, But its value lies in directing us to God and to his word. And as the creed directs us to God and to his word, it will be very useful. But that's all it is. It's a very, very valuable signpost pointing us toward life-sustaining truths. And if you feel like you're 
not really ready for that. Maybe you've had experiences in the past that have made you uncomfortable with that, that have taught you that reciting certain prayers or certain creeds make God love you. Then maybe that's not for you. That's okay. The value of the thing is in how it helps us to see God. And so I want us to conclude just by asking God to help us see him through the means that he's given us, whatever those are. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your wisdom and for your grace. Thank you that you love your people, that you love us, and that you know us and you see us in the difficulties that you're in. Thank you that you gave us apostles and prophets to warn us of the dangers of not being careful or aware of our beliefs. Thank you for the pastors and teachers and evangelists that you have given throughout so many generations, generation after generation after generation of your church. You've given them to us to call us to the truth and away from error. And thank you for how you've enriched us with our own pastors. Thank you for Pastor Nate and for Greg and for their work to do these things for us and for other people in our lives or from generations before us who have enriched us with hymns, with books, with ideas of how to approach your word that have been so enlightening to us. All these things, God, are gifts from you. And we pray that we would rejoice in them, that we'd be grateful for them, that we would be benefited by them. And we pray, God, that at all times and places, we would use these gifts to turn our hearts and our eyes to you. You are the one who makes us right, Lord Jesus. And it is your love for us in Christ, Father, that has made it possible for us to be a part of your family. I pray that you would give us grace in 2024 to draw close to you in faith. And to use all the gifts that you've given us to do that. Not to be caught up on a gift, but to rejoice in it as it brings us to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.